This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, Richard, for the uh, very first week, really, first weeks of 2020, uh, we're doing something that we haven't done much of. We've we've yeah. had at least, I think, only one other guest on so far. Yeah. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, as we mentioned before, setting goals for a new year. You know, one of our goals is to to do uh, a few more interviews this year with with friends of ours, with with people that we admire and and people that we feel that we can learn something from. Yeah. And uh, today we have uh, one of those one people, of those special guests uh, with us. And uh, what I'll do is just step out of the conversation, and I'm going to let you introduce our friend, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, I have a I've mentioned many times in this podcast that one of the great privileges I have in the work I do is to work with Christian business leaders in the marketplace. This podcast is not just for leaders in the church, but certainly in the marketplace as well. And one of those uh, leaders I've gotten to know and really appreciate is Scott McClellan. And so, Scott, welcome. We it, we would probably have more interviews. We just have to get people over here to the Blackaby studio more often. And we appreciate you swinging by on your way home today. But uh, Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself. What you what your background in business is, and uh, and then we're going to get to uh, a great new book that you've written as well. Ah, oh, well, thanks, guys. It's great to be in these impressive studios. <laughs> this is where the magic happens every week. Yeah. I think I'm coming right on the heels of the hockey episode. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Glad, so I mean, glad to be it'd here. be hard to keep up at that level. We talked <laughs> about hockey, it, and now we're talking about you. So I think it will. <laughs> yeah. So again, really glad to be here. Your podcast is one of my favorites. It's well, the first thing you. I listen to whenever it pops up. So y'all are doing a great job. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, tell us about your background and. You got, you're a Christian leader in the marketplace. Yes. And uh, how how did that happen? And what and and give you know I know some of your background and just some of your success story, and I, I want you to share a little bit of that uh, starting companies and and how that's uh, developed because I I just like our listeners to know your journey and the background. Yeah, thank you. So been in the marketplace about forty years um, and had all kinds of jobs within those forty years. Um, I think probably most notably, um, I had the chance to start a company from the ground up, started it in the garage, so to speak, wow. uh, back in June of 1999, and um, sold that company. And today, that company does about $33 billion in volume. So, wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> did, now you have to ask, did I sell it too soon? Oh, I sold it too soon. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> but, <laughs> no question about that. Uh, but, but yeah, I, and that to me is so impressive. You, For our listeners, I know that folks... Uh, can appreciate the magnitude of that, starting something from nothing that's now doing $33 billion a year. Uh, that That's huge, and that's something a lot of people aspire to, but uh, what what did you learn from that? And you're, by the way, you're still a CEO for, t- tell us about what you do today. Yeah, so right now I'm in the hospitality business. I work for a large global firm. I've got responsibility for two of their businesses, and we provide contract services to a variety of different types of customers. Um, I've got one business that's focused on uh, people that operate in retirement centers and another business that's focused on acute care hospitals. But we also run, uh, sister companies run stadiums, law firms. Uh, We do the feeding at Google, Microsoft, Boeing. So very big operation. And we'll leave all the, we'll leave the links uh, to your companies in the show notes as well. People are just interested in what you do and 
perhaps even want to do business with you, they, uh, they'll know how to reach you. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> but now you've written a, a book, and there's actually two parts to the book, but uh, interesting title, Am I? Uh, building a life of personal faith. Yes. Uh, and now that's, uh, that's, I know you've written marketplace-oriented books, and uh, we could talk a little bit also about a book you wrote uh, related to your daughter, one of your daughters. Um, but uh, Am I is a very interesting title. Uh, and so tell, tell us about this book and uh, what, why you wrote it, because it, it doesn't sound like how to grow a business or start a company. Uh, it sounds like this is a little bit different. Yeah, this is the first one where I've really stepped out that way. Um, M-I is obviously a play off of I am, uh, Yahweh, which is a declarative statement and not a question. Yeah. Um, but uh, really actually didn't want to write this book. Um, probably sat on it for upwards of two years. Uh, hmm. You've written 35 books, Richard, something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know how hard it is yeah. to put books together. Yeah. And uh, after the one before this, I said, that's it, I'm done. Um, <laughs> but uh, God just kept putting this on my heart over and over and over again. And after two years of pushing it down, I started to realize I was being Jonah. I was heading mm. in the opposite direction, mm. and it was time to put it to paper. By the way, you know, I, for a lot of our listeners, I think there's a bunch of people who have a story to tell. And and I've had many people say, I, I've got this book idea, but I, I, you know, I'm a CEO, I'm a I'm busy person. Uh, and, you know, I think your story is just a great, could be a great encouragement to say it is possible. I mean, and I don't know all the, the, the things you had to do to carve out the time to, to write, but any word of encouragement to people that, because a lot of people have gotten some great wisdom along the way in their own life journey. And I just, I feel like it's a, there's a stewardship there that when God teaches you something, you need to get it out there where other people could benefit as well. Yeah, I think so. And uh, probably like you, I ride a lot in airplanes you know, <laughs> on, on long trips home. Um, but I, th I think when you write something down, it becomes more tangible. It becomes more real. Hmm. And it's one thing to believe something kind of inside yourself. But when you try to communicate that to other people, it goes to a deeper level, a more tangible level. And hmm. I think you learn to believe more deeply in whatever it is that you believe in mm. the process of communicating that out to others. And I know just from other things you've written that that's taken you to India and Canada and various uh, exotic places that you just, you put things to paper and then God took it and brought it places you wouldn't have dreamed. He did amazing things with the books and I've had the privilege of going to serve in places like that and um, have just learned so much in the process, things mm. that never would have happened if I hadn't obeyed and yeah. put it to paper. Yeah. Well, hopefully some of our listeners will be encouraged to, 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 to finding this in this coming year to uh, make some plans to do that as well. Well, in your book, you there's there's four primary questions, aren't there? Yeah, there are. And, and so what are those four questions? Yeah, so the whole idea of this book was I, I didn't want to write something where I was telling people what they should believe. Um, I wanted to write something where they became much more aware of what they already believed, um, with the hope that that would bring them deeper into whatever it was that they believed. And so the format of the book is to ask questions, not intellectually, but pose questions as though they're coming from God himself, hmm. and that you enter into a very personal dialogue about what your faith means to you specifically. Hmm. I think so many of us tend to believe 
in whatever we were taught growing up or in the faith of our communities or whatever that case may be. And so we, we believe in concepts more than we believe in something very personal and intimate to our lives. And so the whole form of the book is to get you to enter into that personal relationship, starting with the question, am I? Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, again, God described himself in a declarative statement, but I think he's willing to be vulnerable and turn that into a question to say, do you really believe in me? Hmm. And I think most people would say, of course there's a God, or of course there's not a God. Um, and you know, they, they'd kind of just move on quickly from that. Hmm. But I think when you really start to ponder that question, it's the most um, foundational question of all in your faith, because yeah. if God lives, the whole game changes. Yeah. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis has a great quote that Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Huh. Um, yeah. And, you know, I tell you, I spent decades in that moderately important stage. Hmm. And ultimately, through God's grace, he brought me into these questions to make it more personal and more real to me, um, starting with, the again, the fundamental question, do I exist? Hmm. Um, and if I do, what does that mean? How does that... How does that change the game if mm. I live? We've shared before, sometimes even I think with about atheists, it's not so much that they have done a serious search. It's that if God exists, that would be very inconvenient to them and their lifestyle. And it so would. they just they just choose to believe he doesn't exist because the, the alternative is just too revolutionary for them. But I think you're right. It, at some point, everyone has to wrestle with that question. And not everyone does. But it is the fundamental question. And by the way, I just want to say, I, you know, Scott, you, what I appreciate too about this book is uh, you're not, you are a theologian in your own way, um, but you're, you're trained as a business person. And, you're, and what's so good about that is business people are very practical and they, they know how to ask hard questions and not play games and chase after rabbits. I mean, it, time is money. Uh, you want real answers. And so you, you really approach this from a, a businessman's perspective. Uh, you're used to getting answers. You're used to solving problems. And so you took that and uh, approached some of the most important questions people will ever deal with. And so I think that does make this book unique uh, because you're obviously a smart person and you're well-read, but you also take a business person's pragmatic uh, relentless approach to, to getting answers that you that you need, and uh, it really comes through in this book. Well, thank you. Well, you you've got three other questions as I well. Do. If you've ever wanted to do the Experiencing God Bible Study, this is your chance. Registration is now open for the Experiencing God online class. In addition to all the material from the original study, class participants will gain access to archived footage of Henry Blackaby, group discussions with students from around the world, a live stream Q&A with the Blackabees, and more. Class begins January 13th. Register using the link in the show notes or visit blackaby.org slash online classes. If you like what we're doing and would like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Even a little bit will go a long way toward keeping this podcast going for the months and years to come. To support this podcast, click on the link in the show notes. We are truly grateful for our wonderful community of listeners. Um, so I, I think once you come to that wonderful conclusion that God exists, uh, now we need to know who is God. And so the second question is, who am I? And certainly there are characteristics of this that would be 
you know, am I a Christian? Am I a Buddhist? Am I uh, a Muslim? Are there other things to that? But I also think that this question brings into uh, play God's specificity. Hmm. Um, you know, if I were to ask you to describe your father, you'd first describe him as a noun. You'd tell me his name, you know, maybe who he is and what he looks like. But eventually you'd get around to talking about the incredible work and ministry that he had. You would start bringing in adjectives and you'd be describing him in a certain way. And I think, again, we tend to think of God conceptually, um, but I think this question brings us much more deeply into what do I personally think of him? Hmm. Uh, Not just what does he look like or how does he act, but just what is his nature? Hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think... For as my dad wrote in experiencing God, we a lot of Christians even know about God. They don't. They don't. They've never really asked those hard questions to find out who who is He really. That's right. Um, yeah, and you got you got two more kind of interesting questions as well. You you delve into. That's right. And so I think the third question, which is often the the thing that drives people from the faith, in my opinion, is, "Am I love?" Um, and and it's much more than do you love me or do I love you? It's am I literally the source of love itself? Um, because if I am literally love, um, first of all, I'm present every time some kind of loving expression exists. But much more than that is that my love for you is going to cause me to want the best for you. Um, mm. And even though, you know, my description of love may look different than yours. It's always for your best. It's always for your eventual good. Um, and I think what happens in life is all of us have had very difficult circumstance, and we start to question whether God is indeed a loving God, and mm. whether it's you know the illness or the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of a reputation. Uh, it would be easy if all you saw was what's in front of you, all you saw was your circumstance to conclude that God is not love. Hmm. And if God's not love, then I can't trust God. Hmm. And I can't come into intimate relationship with him because he's not love. He doesn't have my eventual good in his you know, forefront of his mind. Um, and so I think this, this answer, am I love, is just so critically yeah. important to that relationship. Well, Scott, I, on that note, I, 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 because I know you, uh, people are just listening in and just... Uh, being introduced to you today would say, wow, I mean, of course this guy feels loved. He's got, he started a, a multi-billion dollar <laughs> company. He's got a great life. He's a CEO. Uh, he has, he's got a, you know, you have a beautiful home that I've been in. And, um, but then, yeah, how could you love a God who gives you all that? Uh, but knowing your background, you, it's not all been easy for you. And I know particularly, uh, with your daughter, one of your daughters, uh, can you tell us maybe just a, a bit of that journey? One of the things I appreciate about your book is that you get very candid. There's some very uh, candid, honest uh, stories of struggle where it wasn't just slam dunk, Sunday school answer kind of uh, uh, times for you where things got very dark, very difficult, and you had plenty of opportunity to conclude God wasn't loving just based on how he was handling your life and particularly your daughter. 
Yeah, my my faith journey has been a bit messy. Um, so I have two wonderful daughters, um, mm-hmm. one who lives in Ohio. Her name is Sarah. She's expecting in three weeks. So uh, prayers yeah. for that. Uh, exciting times. Yeah. My younger daughter, Amanda, was born with a very rare form of cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And it took about two years to diagnose that. But she was just in the hospital and ill mm-hmm. all of the first two years of her life. Um, by the age of two, she was diagnosed. Um, and she went on to survive that and two other cancers. So by the time she was seven, she had survived cancer three times. Mm. Uh, She had been given multiple terminal sentences. You know, she may not make it through the night. She won't make it through the week. She won't make it through the month. Mm. She's had two liver transplants. Um, She's had more than 150 surgeries in her life. Mm. Um, And at the age of 17, after her second liver transplant, uh, she became addicted to the pain medicine that was you know, in effect, just making it so she could live. Hmm. Um, This was before the opioid crisis was the opioid crisis. I kept going to the doctors and saying, look, she's an addict. Um, We need to do something about this. And, you know, they were, they were busy and they didn't know what opioids really were doing at that time. And um, so it was never dealt with. And when the prescription meds ran out, she became a heroin addict amongst many other things and Hmm. has struggled with that for the last 16 years. Um, and, you know, for those who have gone through alcoholism and addiction, you just know what chaos um, and pain that brings in to watch your child go through that. Mm. And it's not over. I got bad news last night oh, um, really? just before coming here. Um, so it's still very much a, a part of our family life. Yeah. And just knowing you uh, as a leader, and we've, we've talked about this in podcasts before, so many things that you have touched have turned to gold. But with leaders, there's seems there's always at least an area of life that is, is just not always that way. That's right. And and so certainly when you look at someone born with cancer, you have to say, well, God, that's how you created her. You 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 made her that way. And and I know just just a small portion of what you've gone through, what you've done, the lengths you've gone to to help your daughter. I mean, I just. I don't know any father who's done any more to try to save his daughter from that. And yet you, you keep getting those disappointing phone calls. And, and so how have you, I know you, you, you do deal with some of that in the book. And, I, and by the way, you wrote a, another book earlier about that journey. Um, and tell us a little bit about that too. And just and any, anything you've learned, because that's, I tell you what, there's a whole lot of parents who would just say, if God, if you're going to let my daughter go through that uh, and not answer my prayers, you can't, you can't be a loving God. Yeah. So the, the other books are um, one I wrote a long time ago called Amanda's Gift, and that's a very practical guide to parents going through the illness of a child. And what is it like to go through the maze of hospitals and all the bills that come with that and insurance companies and, you know, fighting for experimental procedures to be approved. It's... Mm-hmm really um, quite a quite an event um, that parents go through and I didn't feel like I had a guide so I wanted to provide that for other parents mm. also wrote a book under a pen name called an acre of fools and that was mm. dealing more with the family trauma of addiction um, going going through that um, and that's part of how quite frankly I've handled things is um, is to try to look beyond the circumstance, to try to understand the meaning behind the suffering. Because mm. uh, I think if, if you're a humanist and, and suffering happens, I mean, you know, just there's no good explanation for that. Um, you know, you could say you draw on the bad hand of fate, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, then suffering just becomes a math problem, so to speak. Huh. 
Um, but um, I think more than that, if, you ha- if you're a person of any faith at all, um, there's a much bigger answer out there that, um, that brings you seeking. And as much pain as our family and my daughter has gone through, um, I will tell you that I never would be the person of faith I am today without that. Yeah. Um, it's caused me to dive deeply. And I had to either um, decide that my faith was something real and tangible that would help me get through that, or I had to abandon it, crucify yeah. it. And certainly just knowing you uh, and the, the leader, the man of God, the husband, the grandfather that you are, uh, he's done a beautiful thing in your life, uh, an amazing thing of who you are. It's the, the instrument he's used has been quite painful at times. Yes. And certainly he does love Amanda uh, as well and wants the best for her. But uh, I think you've also become a little more comfortable with not always getting problems solved in your time frame and the way you'd like, but uh, leaving some things in God's hands. And, uh, and the, the unknowable sometimes... We, we, we want conclusions to everything. We, we, want, we want to end every meeting with, what have we decided? What, how, when will this be accomplished? And with God, we try to end those meetings that way. <laughs> and God uh, doesn't necessarily let us put a deadline on yeah, him. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> well, you've got one other question there, too, that That's right. God asked. So I think the final question, and this is just, again, just speaking into my own life, was... Um, the, the, the thing that I really had to come to, and again, this was decades of exploration for me. This was, this was not something that happened in an instant. Um, but um, at the end of the day, the, the question is, am I sovereign, right? Am I God mm-hmm. sovereign over your life specifically? And I think, you know, a lot of people of faith will say, oh, absolutely, he's sovereign, but then not listen to a thing he has to say about how you raise your kids, where you work, where you live, what you do, um, what your purpose is. And so I think, again, if you're going to really answer questions one through three, you know, in a, in a very positive way, then four is kind of just the natural conclusion of that, is that mm-hmm. I would turn my life over to a God who's got it figured out way beyond hmm. the way I've got it figured out. Now, when you when you lead a secular company driven by profit motive, uh, led by people that aren't necessarily Christians, how do you I mean, how do you do how, how do you let God be sovereign of your life when you're going in to work with a bunch of people who aren't even Christians? Yeah. So I, I think, first of all, it's got to be very personal to you, right? You've got to live it out first before you could even think about how it interacts with other people. But my experience is um, that when I've truly turned it over to God, uh, the business outcomes are just as miraculous as anything else that happens in life. (laughs) So I I actually believe that, um, you know, the businesses are bigger, more profitable um, because I'm listening to the the man who's got all that figured out. Hmm. Well, let me, you know, this is a leadership podcast and you are a great leader. You've been very successful. Uh, how did you do that? I mean, it, was everything just natural to you? Did, you? did Were you just always a good leader? Or how have you become such a successful leader that's so respected in your industry today? Uh, yeah, well, I'm a mess. Let's start with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not been clean, and it, it still isn't clean. Um, I, I, think, I think what um, God has given me is the ability to understand what's important and when it's important. Hmm. 
Um, and so I have, and have always had just amazing teams, amazing people who are compassionate and excellent at what they do. And, but how do you get brilliant. those teams? You know, a lot of people say, well, I'd love to have your team, Scott. Why, <laughs> why do you have such a good team? And I have such a bunch of misfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of that's very deliberate, isn't it? Right. Uh, it's, it's first of all, first and foremost, creating a culture that great people want to be a part of. Mm. And I think as leaders, that's the single most important thing that we do is we create a culture that's exciting and fun and and quite frankly a winning culture people want to be a part of a winning team i think mm. even people in nonprofits want to be part of a winning team mm. um, so whether you're for-profit non-for-profit mission driven or secular driven people just want good things to happen and if you create that winning environment and you celebrate winning um, ultimately you attract people in who want to be a part of that and then you know, at the end of the day, I think as leaders, and many do, just believe that they're not there for themselves, they're there for their team. I think as soon as people realize that you're in it for them, not in it for you, um, again, that attracts in more more winning folks. Hmm. Yeah. It's, and I know you travel a lot. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, we have lots of travel stories. We've flown That's on right. some planes together. Uh, but when you're traveling and you're going through time zones and you've got all kinds of clients you're trying to keep happy and you've got personnel issues, I mean, how do you keep your balance with that? How do you keep from just being jet lag cranky with uh, employees that maybe don't perform like you'd want them to? Because you, you have lots of excuses available to you if you just want to be a little bit of cantankerous uh, CEO sometimes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Plus all sure, you, not to I, say anything about your personal life, you just, you get a really disappointing, heartbreaking call about your daughter and then you got to go into the office the next day and work with people. Uh, I mean, how do you keep your balance with that? How do you keep from just not being negative and grouchy and taking it out on staff? Yeah, so I think that's uh, a key question that a lot of us in the workplace have, and I would say I've probably failed at having balance for the vast majority of my career. I think there are two things that have maybe changed that most recently. Um, one is just a deliberate focus on finding balance. Um, mm. So for me, that's been writing, for example, and being in ministry outside of work. Um, that's been, a, you know, put me on purpose, so to speak. Um, and so it, when you're deliberate about it, you, you find the time, you prioritize the time. Uh, it may involve, you know, less TV or less this or that, um, but it ultimately makes sure that you're on purpose and doing what you love to do. Mm. Um, and the second for me is, is my faith. Um, I, I know I'm not in the workplace to be in the workplace. I'm in the workplace to be in ministry. Um, mm. And so if that's true, if that's where God has placed me, even though I might be doing secular things in a secular way, there's a much greater purpose to that. Mm. Um, and it makes it hard to be cranky uh, when, you, <laughs> <laughs> when you know that's what you're doing. Well, you've uh, maybe one last question for you. You're you're not an old man by any means. Uh, you're, you're still young, and you're <laughs> you got a lot of uh, of you know runway still ahead of you. But uh, uh, but you've been at it long enough now that there, I think there are seasons to leadership, and uh, you're not a rookie certainly anymore. Uh, do you feel like there's a stewardship of? I mean, God has entrusted some very unique experiences to you personally and professionally uh, at this stage of your life as a leader. What do you sense that God has for you that perhaps maybe he didn't have for you a decade ago? 
Yeah, so to maybe even take a step back and partially answer a, a previous question, I think if you look at all the great leaders in life, they do three things incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is they have a clarity of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, they know what they want to accomplish. They know how they want to do it. They build teams around them, and they have just a, a persistence in achieving whatever that purpose is. Uh, the second thing is is they're just great at what they do. Right? They're they're operationally excellent, if you will. Mm-hmm. They're, they they realize that things have to be done at an exceptional level. But then I think the third thing is to the heart of your last question, which is they're good stewards. Hmm. Um, They know that it's not just about them during their time while they're in the business at the moment, although that's certainly, at least in a for-profit environment, what you're tasked with doing. But at the end of the day, um, I I think the best of leaders realize that the business needs to thrive beyond their tenure there. Hmm. Um, and that a, g- a great leader's job is to leave the business as good or better than he or she found it um, and to raise up the next generation of good stewards to come behind him or her. Hmm. And so I think if you look at what's you know happening now in the business is, you know, again, I've I've got a lot of runway left, so I'm <laughs> yes, not going <laughs> anywhere. Um, but I'm starting to just think much more deliberately about succession planning um, and, you know, who, who are the leaders that are going to take this business forward? Um, should I not be there for any reason? Hmm. My, I should maybe just add, you, you're a leader, but you're also an entrepreneurial leader. You started something and, and have grown it to be of significant size. For those entrepreneurs, I mean, God has wired some people to be that way. They That's don't right. just want to go and hire on somewhere. They feel like they're created to create something. Uh, what, do you have any word for them? A Christian entrepreneur, uh, sometimes that can almost be a curse. You know, they drive their spouse crazy sometimes, dreaming of what they can start. And it's like, why don't you? You're already working for a good company. Why, we've got good benefits. Why would you walk away from that and start something that you know you might not even be able to make payroll next month? What, what's your word to uh, to entrepreneurs? And why would God wire them that way? Yeah. So did you call my wife Deborah? Before? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. like word for word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I know some of your background. <laughs> oh, geez. So um, I, I think again, um, so I, I, a lot of people who are people of faith think that they need to do something very purposeful. And if that's what God has called you to do, I mean, that's, that's important. If you're, if you're, if you're called to fill some need, you know, that's just an awesome calling. But, you know, I, I think there are also a lot of people of faith who are solving secular problems out in the marketplace. Um, and so the purpose may not be as obvious unless you look inside about the people that you're serving and the customers that you're serving. Mm. Um, you are providing employment for people. You're providing a culture where they can live their purpose. Um, you're loving them. You're loving your customers. You're you're taking, um, you know, the, the, the absolute privilege of being given the opportunity to serve a customer. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think you can ultimately turn even a, a secular business into something that's much more purposeful beyond that. And it's it's an exciting road. Uh, you know, when you have the chance um, to create something from the ground up, um, you have the opportunity to build the culture and to build the offering um, mm-hmm. in such a way that it serves others, you know, to, despite what industry you might be in. And I think it's important to notice the, the first glimpse of God is as a creator, an yes. entrepreneur, if you will. He's starting something from scratch. There you go. Uh, and that we still are benefiting from even uh, how many thousands of years later. That's right. And so, uh, you know, I think there are probably some listeners who 
God's wired that way. And I think the, this world and God's kingdom uh, need those entrepreneurs. That's a special gift. And sometimes we look at problems in the world today, and the reason we still have those problems is there's something that needs still to be created that would address those uh, and uh, alleviate some of what we're seeing today. It, the, the entrepreneur just hasn't fulfilled his calling and purpose yet, but one day they will. And uh, I hope that's an encouragement. And certainly, you, you've started companies, but you've done other things like write books. And you there's you brought lots of things uh, into reality because God inspired you. And, and I'm assuming that the, your books could be found on Amazon. How, we're, we'll have all that links in the, in the show notes. I want to encourage people to do that. But tell us the best way to, to get hold of your latest book. Yeah, so this book launch is a little bit unique in that I actually have two versions of the same book. Uh, I <laughs> always have to just kind of go a little over the top. That's there. right. <laughs> <laughs> One book is not enough. Uh, so I realized as I was deep into the you know first drafts of the book um, that I was I was in fact going very deep, um, mm-hmm. and I was really exploring um, maybe some complex subjects. Uh, but the audience I was trying to reach are people who maybe are not there yet. Um, mm. And so I actually created a, a much smaller version. It's like 70 small pages. Um, and, you know, just fundamentally focused on the four questions that we were talking about. So mm. the short version is, am I the four foundational questions of faith? The longer version is, am I building a life of personal faith? Mm. Um, both can be found on Amazon. Um, also have a website, which is awarenessofgod.org, O-R-G. Um, and the book can be purchased there. And mm. you can also reach out. Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Well, that's great, and I, and I know you you mean that. And I'll tell you what, if you have a chance uh, to interact at all with Scott, I strongly encourage you to do that. And, uh, I, you know, we've talked about this uh, in just recent blogs or uh, podcasts, but uh, uh, as you look at 2020, this is a great time to go deeper than you have before. You, you, you might say, I'm not used to reading hard books. I'm not used to having to read books that make me think. This is a great year to do that. Uh, and to say, this is the year I go deeper and I try to tackle some some books that really make me think and take my walk with God to a place that's never been before. And so this is a great book to do that. Very practical, very thoughtful, uh, very candid. And I think you'll be quickly engaged in the, the, the pages as well. And, uh, and, I, and I pray that it starts something new in your life as a result of re- reading uh, the, the journey that uh, God's had Scott on. Well, Scott, uh, thanks for indeed. being with us. Oh, well, thank you. This has been great. Well, we'll hope to get you back because uh, I, I sense there'll be more new things to come in your life in the days to come as well. Yeah, fun to see how this sausage is made, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of sausages, we'll turn it back over to Sam. <laughs> thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.